scripture is in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraph, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have, been, have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, uh, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, uh, he said Go to tell the people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of his people callous, make the ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with the ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. Let us have a word of prayer first. Hey, Father, as we uh, come before you this morning, uh, we pray that uh, you will edify your people through these words, uh, with your own word. And Father, we, uh, as we uh, listen to the sermon today, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth, and we come uh, refreshed, and we come with a new understanding of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, last month, I preached a sermon on the relationship between salvation and worship. Today, we're going to continue to uh, study the subject of worship. We're going to address the issue of what is worship. What is worship? The corporate worship that we have every Sunday here is the... Uh, meeting that Christians attend the most. And because of this, I think uh, churches need to have a systematic teaching on worship. Otherwise, the Christians don't have a good understanding of what worship is. In my years of ministry, I have, um, I have heard Christians that use the term worship uh, very loosely, at least in the Chinese churches. Uh, many Christians... Um, call all the meetings we have in the church worship, as long as it has uh, singing and it has uh, studying of God's word, they have prayer. And uh, most of our fellowship groups or Sunday schools or, or, or meetings like that have that. But not all the meetings we have at church that can be called a worship. Worship has a very specific meaning, 
and uh, particularly corporate worship uh, has a very specific format. So, and the question becomes, what is worship? Worship, simply put, is a dialogue. It's a dialogue between God and his people. Then we can see that in the Isaiah 6 passage that we have just read. Although the term worship does not appear in this passage, but, but this passage teaches very many important concepts in worship. And if you study books about worship, about Christian worship, and uh, most of these books will go to this passage and uh, explain the meaning of worship. And specifically, the program that we have in our corporate worship, our Sunday program, worship program, is designed based upon the principle in this passage in Isaiah 6. So we're going to dive into this passage this morning, and uh, we're going to see this dialogue that goes on between God and Isaiah. Uh, First, we're going to see that God reveal himself to Isaiah. God reveals himself to Isaiah. In the year that, uh, in verse 1, we read, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, <clears throat> uh, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So we see that in, uh, in these uh, couple of verses that God reveals himself uh, to Isaiah through a vision. <clears throat> now, um, <clears throat> now uh, uh, in this vision, today we can, uh, <laughs> we can probably better say like in a video clip or something like that. Uh, God revealed his holiness. Isaiah saw God sitting uh, in the throne, high and exalted in the heavenly places. And around the throne, there were seraphs uh, worshiping him. What are seraphs? When the Bible translated, uh, translator uh, translate this term, uh, they don't know how to translate it. So they just uh, adopted the Hebrew word. So the elder... Uh, uh, Chris uh, just mentioned that about difficulty of Hebrew. Well, this morning you learned a Hebrew word. The word seraph came from Hebrew, and it's just a transliteration. This is how it sounds in, in Hebrew. Um, and, and incidentally, this is the uh, only place in the Old Testament um, that this word appears. So therefore, the Bible translator have no other passage to go reference to. But it's, uh, it's safe to conclude that the seraph is a kind of angel. And they worship and serve God, uh, God in the heavenly places. Mm. So, because because they are angels, um, theologians don't believe that they have physical body because they are spiritual beings. Mm. What we see here uh, about their wings is the manifestation, so that uh, uh, to help us to to get a message. And the message is what uh, we see that they say, each seraph have a six wing. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. <clears throat> now, why do, they, why, do they, why do I get this image? Why do we get this image of two wings covering, covering their faces? Because, <clears throat> because God is holy. <clears throat> God is holy. 
and they cannot stare at the glorious God. So they, they cover their faces, and then with two wings, they cover their feet, because they cannot stand before the holy God. And the feet, uh, so the feet has to be covered. Feet uh, in here represent the whole body. And with two wings to fly. And this symbolizes them serving God and praising God. And when they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They were singing praises to God. So we see that God reveals himself to Isaiah uh, through to this vision. And in this vision, God reveals his majesty, his glory, his holiness, his sovereignty, his authority, etc. So today, God's complete revelation is in the Bible. And we have God's complete revelation. And when God, uh, so in worship, God uh, starts with God worshiping, uh, God revealing his glory to us through his word. So we start worship with a, with, a, with a call to worship. With a call to worship. Now what is a call to worship? Call to worship, simply put, is a command from God for his people to worship him. So, so call to worship should be announced with a proclamation. With a proclamation of God commanding us to worship him. And usually uh, we found that in Psalm and uh, mostly in Psalms. So the call to worship is not just reading any passage in Psalm or a uh, or, or few verses from Psalm, but it has specifically, it should be a command for us to worship. As creatures, we don't initiate worship. We cannot initiate worship. As creatures, we respond. So the creator God commands his people to worship him and we respond by worship him. So... So the call to worship is God commanding us to worship him. And we, we respond with a presider's prayer. The presider's prayer, which is the, pre, the first prayer in worship, is a response to God's command to worship him. And this is followed up by us, uh, God greeting us into his presence and welcoming us into his presence uh, through the work of his son on the cross. Now, after coming to God's presence, we sing hymn of praise. We sing a hymn of praise. This is, uh, this is our response to God revealing himself to us. We praise God, and we praise God because the seraphs, uh, the seraphs uh, respond to God, seeing God's glory. They were praising God in the heavenly realms. And we praise God because we have seen his glory. So the first hymn that we sing should be a hymn of praise. Now, there are many different kinds of uh, uh, hymn in the, in the Bible, but the, uh, the, the first hymn that we sing uh, uh, in the beginning of the worship should be a hymn of praise, not just any hymn. There, there are hymns, uh, there are songs in the, in the songbook uh, that are some uh, Christians to God. Some of them are Thanksgiving uh, uh, type of psalms. Some of them are praise, praise uh, hymns. And some of them are songs um, sing, uh, sung to, uh, uh, to non-Christians. Invite them into trusting Christ, etc. But the uh, the first hymn that we sing in public worship should be a hymn of praise, not just any song in the hymn book, because this is this is what we see in Isaiah chapter six. So uh, so we see God reveal His glory to His people, and His people um, 
respond with praise. So what's Isaiah's reaction upon seeing this uh, this vision from God? Uh, verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the God, the Lord Almighty. And what Isaiah uh, does, he's, immediately he sees his own sinfulness. He's a man of unclean lips. Now, what does that mean? He's a man of unclean lips. Doesn't mean that he has just eaten fried chicken and hasn't wiped his clean uh, lips clean. It's got greasy lips. No, this is a this this these verses cannot be interpreted literally. Now, here lips represent words, and words reflect our thoughts. So, what Isaiah uh, was saying when, when when he says, "I'm a man of unclean lips," means that our our thoughts are sinful. Our thoughts are unclean before God. So he confesses his sins. I'm a, uh, for I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And when, when he realizes that, uh, his, his second reaction is that uh, he's ruined. He fears for his destruction. Verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I'm ruined. Now the word ruined here means complete destruction. The reason for this is because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah realizes that he's a sinner standing before the Holy God. And how could that be? So immediately he, he, he feared for God's judgment. So after our uh, initial hymn of praise that we sung in worship, we have the reading of God's law. Now what God's law re- uh, revealed to us is God's righteous demand for us. It reflects God's holy character and God's requirements for us. Now, God's law exposes our sinfulness, how sinful we are, because we have failed to live according to God's law and by his commandments. So, just as Isaiah confessed his sins, that we too respond by having a corporate confession of sins. And this is, this is what we have just read, a corporate confession of sin. And this is uh, the basis. The basis for the corporate confession of sins is uh, in this Isaiah six passage and other passages in the Bible. In the other passages of the Bible, when sinner appear, uh, when well, actually when God appears before sinners, the first response is is what? It's woe to me, <laughs> woe to me. I'm in trouble now. I mean, uh, uh, I'm ruined. This is what happens in in the Bible in theonomy when when angel of God. Uh, in many cases, God himself reveals himself to, to God's people. So they are, when, when we are gathered together for corporate worship, we're coming into the princes of God. And, uh, and the reason we haven't been destroyed, that we can still come before God to worship him, is because of his son, uh, Jesus Christ, and what Christ has died for, uh, did for us on the cross. So today... When we come before God, we're not coming before a judge. We're coming before our Father. Because in Christ, we have been adopted as God's children. Now, what happens when Isaiah sees his own sinfulness and confesses his sins? Verse 6. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he has taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this is has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. 
Oh, Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe to me, I'm ruined. What did, what did, what did God do? Uh, God did not judge Isaiah according to, according to his sins. Instead, God sent uh, one of the seraphs to touch Isaiah's lip with a piece of live coal. Now, how are we going to interpret this verse? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that this is a form of unusual punish, cruel, unusual punishment. This is not what it means. Okay, this is not what this passage is trying. Uh, God is trying to tell us. You see, uh, uh, live coal, live coal, this burning coal, uh, symbolizes fire. Okay, symbolizes fire, and fire has a different symbolic meaning in the Bible. One of them, one of them uh, uh, is judgment. Fire is a judgment. And the other one, um, fire can also represent cleansing. Not judgment, but cleansing. And we know that in this uh, passage here, this fire here is a symbol of cleansing. It symbolizes removal of sins. Now, how do you know that? How do you know this is the correct usage uh, interpretation of fire in this, in, this, in this verse here? Well, context. Context. The context tells you which usage of this uh, use of the fire is the correct one. The context, verse 7 says, with, with it, this live coal, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away and your sin atoned for. The context tells us that this live coal, which symbolizes fire, is for cleansing of his sins. So this is not a this is not a cruel and usual punishment by Isaiah. This is a remove God's forgiving him of his sins. So you know, so in order for for us to have fellowship with God, which is what worship is, the first thing we must do is we must recognize and confess our sins. We recognize we confess our sins. This is part of worshiping truth. We agree with what the Bible says about us. We agree with what the Bible says about God. And we agree with what the Bible says about our relationship as God's people to God. So uh, after the corporate uh, confession of sin, God removes, uh, uh, removes our sins, just as God has removed Isaiah's sins. After the removal of sins, then we have uh, communion with God, which is, which is what worship is. So after the uh, corporate confession of sins, there's a reading of the gospel. And the gospel tells us that, that God has uh, forgiven us of our sins, that Christ has atoned for our sins. And through the work of his son, we can approach God's throne with boldness. So, so this, is, this is a dialogue format, an interaction between God and his people. Now, um, this is, this is very important. Why is that? Because a decade, a decade ago, uh, in, in, there is a movement called, called seeker-sensitive worship. Have you heard of that? Seeker-sensitive uh, service, seeker-sensitive worship. There were, uh, there were some uh, pastors that were teaching that worship should be designed for seekers. No, I think pastors should be aware that uh, they'll very, very well uh, uh, be... Uh, non-Christians sitting in the worship service. And when they prepare their sermon, they should, they should keep those people in mind. But the question is, is worship designed for seekers? Is worship designed for seekers? No, no. Worship, by definition, is communion with God. Worship is 
fellowship with God. It's communion with God. And this occurs in a dialogical form. So uh, those who can truly worship God are those whose sins have been atoned for. Those who have confessed their sins and their sins have been atoned for. These people are the ones that, that they have fellowship with God uh, in, the, in the worship service. So worship is designed for Christians. It's not designed for seekers. Now, pastors should be sensitive to the fact that there might well be seekers, uh, will be people who not, have not been regenerated sitting in the worship service. But the worship itself, the program, and the sermon is not designed for seekers. It's designed for God's people. So, so uh, God revealed his glory to Isaiah. Isaiah, he sees own sins. He confesses sins. God removed his sins. And then, then what happens next? What happens next? God gave Isaiah the opportunity to serve him. God sends Isaiah out. Verse 8 then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Well, after God forgive Isaiah of his sins, God calls Isaiah, give Isaiah opportunity to serve him. Now, when God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Uh, this, you realize that this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> Okay, God knows how Isaiah is going to respond. God knew that before the creation of the world. Before, the cre- before time started, God knows everything that's going to go, go on in, in the universe. So, so you know, God is not out there calling volunteers. Now, who, who, who can we send this time? Who's going to go? No, God knows that already. So this is a rhetorical question. And this is, this is not indicative that, that God needed our help. No. This is God giving Isaiah uh, the opportunity, God giving his people the opportunity to participate, uh, participate in God's redemptive program. So this is, this is, this is the meaning of our, our service in the church. It's us participating in God's redemptive program. It's not because God has a need, because we have a need. God called us out of this world God called us for a specific purpose. There were people that worship God. We're true worshipers, and we serve him. We serve the God who we worship. So after the forgiveness of the sins, uh, um, um, uh, we have the sermon. In the sermon, God speaks to his people through the Bible. Through the sermon, we understand God's, uh, God's, what God has done for us, and also, we understand uh, God's will uh, uh, in, in our lives. And then uh, God gives us the opportunity to, to respond. So once more, we uh, dedicate ourselves to God. We come in his, his, his presence. We listen to his word being preached. We do that both out of gratitude uh, for God having saved us, and also because that's what we are created for. We're created as beings to live God-centered life. This is, this is how Adam and Eve lived before they, before they sinned against God. So after the sermon, we commit ourselves to serving God. Now, there are, uh, there are two principles uh, about serving God that we can see in this passage. Uh, the first one is those whose sins have been atoned for, have been washed, washed clean uh, by the by the blood of Christ, 
those are the people that have the privilege to serve God. So, so God is holy. God is holy. And only those who have been made holy through the blood of Christ can come before God to serve before God. And this is very important. And this is uh, why is this important? Because I've, I've known some churches that were, uh, that were hire non-Christians as pianists because they don't have a pianist in the congregation to, uh, to, to play the piano during a worship service. No, that cannot be. That cannot be. Every, everyone who, who participates in the worship service, any, anyone, anyone who leads the singing or, or plays the piano or participates in some aspect of worship service, uh, they, they need to be Christians. They need to, uh, to have uh, their sins atoned for first. first. Otherwise, we cannot come before the Holy God and, and, and serve him. The second thing we need to learn about uh, serving God is um, God not only forgives us of our sins, not God not only forgives Isaiah of his sins, but uh, God reveals uh, his will uh, to his people through his word. So the, uh, God, uh, God says, uh, whom shall we send who will go for us? So after we listen to the sermon, after we know and learn about God's will, God give us a respond, opportunity to respond through our obedience. Now, this response can be, can be different forms. One could be the change of mind, a new understanding, a change of our mind, change of our attitude, change of our will. We rededicate ourselves to God. And the response could also be a, a, an action. Uh, could be a response by action. Now, how did Isaiah respond to God's challenge? Isaiah responds by submitting himself to God to do his will. This is what we see in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah said, verse 8, says, Here I am, send me. Isaiah submit himself to God. He says, Here I am, send me. And we see that his submission is a total one. So in our weekly corporate worship service, God revealed his will to us. What is, what is our response after hearing the sermon? I hope the response is not we promptly forget what we heard last Sunday. But we respond with specific action. Look, God preaches to us and God expects a response. Now, coming with the blessing of God's word is responsibility and accountability. So God didn't preach to us, God didn't reveal his will to us to, to satisfy uh, our curiosity, but God revealed his will to us so that our lives would be transformed and our heart be renewed. <clears throat> now, what did God do after Isaiah responded to God with uh, obedience? He says, here I am, send me. God says in verse 9, <laughs> this is pretty scary, God says, go and tell the people, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. After Isaiah responded to God, says, here I am, send me. God sent him on what I call a mission impossible. My God, mission impossible. Um, He's going to preach to the congregation of Israel. It's going to preach it for 40 years, and those people will not repent. 
He's going to call them to repentance, and those people will not repent. And God tells him ahead of time. Now, this is hard. This is hard. So after the sermon, after the prayer, uh, after the, the, the end of the sermon, this is followed by a, a hymn of response. The, the purpose of the hymn of response is for us to respond to God's message. Our response should be one of submission to God's will and asking God to send us into the world and to do his will, to his will accomplish. Send us to the world and that we play our role in God's redemptive program. And this is what the whole Bible shows us, that God delivers his people and God uses people and sends people into the world to accomplish the redemptive program so that in the end, God's promise to Abraham that all the people of the earth will be blessed through him will be accomplished before the return of Christ. So, so this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the pattern that throughout, the, throughout the, the whole Bible. Now, there are some Christians that say, I never heard God calling me or sending me. I've seen God calling other people into a different kind of ministry, you know, whether, it's, whether it's being finance work or elite singing or, or um, keeping the church clean, tidy, or doing audiovisual work, or some call to be missionary, so on and so forth. And um, some people say, I never heard God calling me to do any particular ministry or sending me. Now, there, are, there could, be, could, be, could be some many reasons. One of, them is, one, of, one of them is, how have you responded to what has revealed to you before? How have you responded to what has revealed to you before? Have you responded in a positive way? Mm. Now, if we haven't responded positively to what God has revealed to us before, why would God reveal more to us? This is what happened to people in Isaiah's day. The Bible says their hearts were calloused, their ears dull, and they have closed their eyes. God has repeatedly, has repeatedly sent prophets to tell Israelites to repent, otherwise the exile is coming, and they, uh, they ignore the prophets. So the, uh, the second reason could be that we are unwilling to submit to God's sovereignty, and we, and we won't say, here I am, send me. You know, this is, this, is, this is a pretty scary thought. Here I am, send me, because we don't know what God's going to send us to do. I remember years ago there was a song called... Uh, uh, God, please don't send me to Africa. I don't know if some of you older ones maybe remember that song. It's a very, very funny song, but uh, this is about this Christian praying that God was not sending him to Africa because, you know, there are, <laughs> the cannibals in Africa, they're wild animals and the difficult living condition, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, you, you see in this passage that God, uh, Isaiah didn't ask God, what is your plan? What do you want me to do? Maybe I'll pray about it and get back to you in a couple of days. Now, now this is, this maybe this is how I would respond, but this is not what Isaiah did. He's, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And that's before God told him what God is going to send him to do. In Romans 12.1, Paul encourages, Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifice. And then and you will be able to in the end, discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
Now, present yourself as living sacrifice is the same as saying, here I am, send me. So uh, Isaiah submit to the sovereignty uh, of God. Then God reveals his plan to Isaiah. Now, what, what is the ministry that God has called him to do? Well, it's a very difficult one. He's going to preach to the Israelites for them to repent. And they won't do it. And God tells him ahead of time. So verse 9 we read, he said, God said, Go and tell the people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn to be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. What's the result of God sending Isaiah out to call the people to repent? Well, Isaiah is going to preach for 40 years, and the people will not repent. And here in these verses, between 9 to 12, God tells him ahead of time. Tell him ahead of time. Before he even started doing his ministry. No, I probably won't go. <laughs> if God tells me, you're going to go into a pastoral ministry, you're going to do it for 40 years, there's not going to be any results for it. I probably say, <laughs> call somebody else. I don't want to do it. But this is not what Isaiah did. He's faithful to God. He's faithful to God. He knows from the beginning that his lifetime of ministry will not bear any fruit, at least from men's perspective. But Isaiah went anyway. This is, this is faithfulness. This is faithfulness. He went anyway. And what he preached was recorded. So after the exile, people understand that God had sent a prophet to warn him, to warn them. So what is worship? What is worship? Worship is a dialogue between God and his people. Worship is having communion with God in this process, in this dialogue. Now, in this passage, we see that God revealed his glory, uh, his holiness, and then God's people respond with awe and saw our own sinfulness, and God removes the sins of his people and reveal his will to them. And God's people responded uh, with dedication of service to God. Then God commissions his people to do his work. This is, this is, this is how this worship program, uh, the worship program are designed. It is designed in a dialogue type of format. It's a back and forth interaction. And part of worship service is tithe and offering, which is a response. It's our response. And also we have a hymn of response. We have a hymn after the, worship, uh, after the sermon. This is our response to having hear God's word. So this, this uh, then worship ends with a, uh, the benediction, with the commission. In the benediction, God promises, promises, I, the triune God, will go with you to do the work that I have sent you out to do in this world. And we will meet next Sunday. This is what the benediction is. 
So our worship program is designed around this, this, this back and forth interaction. This back and forth interaction between God and his people is worship. And its whole process, God is glorified and his will is done. And in this process, God's people enjoy this communion with God in this whole, uh, in this whole process. So it's very important to understand that worship is not a spectating event. Worship is not a spectating event. In some contemporary worship services, I feel it's more like a spectating event in which people go there and observe worship. No, we don't, we don't come to worship passively, observe worship. If we do, then we're just being a spectator in the worship. No, we come to worship actively interacting with God in this dialogue format. We are active participants in worship. We engage in worship. We don't observe worship. So in this whole, in this whole process that, that God is glorified and we, are, we leave his presence uh, having our mind renewed, having our heart renewed, and we leave with a commission. We're sent by the triune God into this world to do the, what he uh, wants us to accomplish through us in this world. So it's my hope that in the sermon that you understand what, why is this program designed this way and why it's going on during worship service. It's a dialogue between God and his people. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for giving us your word and we thank you for delivering us, calling us out from this world that we, we, we become your people. Our sins have been atoned for by the blood of Christ, our Lord. And you have uh, called us out of this world, and you have sent us with a commission that we are to make disciples of all nations, that we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the end, all the nations of the earth uh, will have people who are uh, redeemed, and that you promised to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him uh, when they will be fulfilled. We know that the, one day the Great Commission will be completed and that your son will return. And together we will reign with him. And we look forward, forward to the day when we live with you forever together as your people. And uh, having been made uh, perfect uh, in the likeness of your son, that we enjoy your presence and we rule over the uh, renewed creation together with your son. And this is the destiny that we're headed to. So although we, we, we live in this world, we see many uh, uh, calamities around us, uh, including this pandemic that's been going on, that we, we live a life of uh, um, uh, isolation, that we have to go out, uh, running around with masks. We know that all this will come to an end one day. May you wipe away all of our tears. Father, we, we look forward to uh, spending eternity in your presence and worship of you. Uh, it is through your sons, uh, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.